Hello and good day, marvelous podcast family. I hope that wherever you are in the world, that you are healthy, that you are happy, that you are making the most out of these trying times on the planet. I am sending you all of my love, good wishes, and support through the airwaves. I am doing as many podcasts as I can to find empowering perspectives on this situation. If you want to support the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Please share on Facebook, on Instagram, wherever. You can support on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair, you can join the academy and get access to the absolutely phenomenal Soul Compass course that will teach you how to use your natural GPS system to create a life of of meaning, purpose, and extraordinary living by your own definitions. And you can get that at bit.ly forward slash mindbodyspirit21. And during this time, I'm doing a pay as you want. So just DM me, uh, send me an email anywhere, matt at zenathlete.com. Let me know what you can pay. Happy to put you through that course and get you access to all the amazing exclusive content and training over there. And for those of you guys who are interested in coaching, just hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com. Some people want to use this time to do courses and level up, and I am happy to support you. So I hope that you're doing well. Let's get into this amazing episode, but first, let's come to a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose, filling every cell, every muscle and fiber of your being with peace, joy, empowerment, strength, inner knowing, and ready to take on this amazing episode. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today we have a very special panel of guests for you. We are going to be discussing building emotional resilience in challenging times, constructive ways for dealing with fear and anxiety, and how to use this time as an opportunity for transformation and much more. Our first guest, Sky Nelson Isaacs, is a physics educator, speaker, author, and musician. He has a master's degree in physics with a thesis in strength theory and a BS in physics. He is the author of Living in Flow, The Science of Synchronicity and How Your Choices Shape Your World. Our next guest, Dr. Edith Ubuntu Chan, is a globally recognized Chinese medicine doctor, author of Super Wellness, and host of the Dr. E Show, where she explores the frontier of human potential. Finally, our third guest, Nick Egan, is the author of Shift, the Art of Transforming Limitations, and holds a PhD in Buddhist philosophy, a BA in psychology, and MA in comparative religion. So to get us started, these guys have all been on the show before. They are incredible people. They are incredibly knowledgeable in their fields, and I'll just invite them on one at a time to just share a little bit about themselves. And I guess, Sky, we'll start with you because you, on top of all of these other things, uh, being a physicist, you're actually an award winning musician as well. And uh, just everything you do, it's like a heart of gold. So um, I'd like to congratulate you on doing that in these challenging times and just get you to share a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much, Matt. It's, it's really a blessing to be here sharing this space with you and with Dr. Edith and with Nick. Um, I'm, I'm really excited. Excited is not the right word. I'm really moved to bring whatever knowledge each of us has and not just the four of us here, but all of us in our lives, bring forth whatever knowledge and wisdom we have and allow space for that to unfold, to happen. 
because the choices we make, the research I do as a physicist is trying to understand the connection between um, choices that we make, which set targets off in the future, and those targets then uh, in, in the way that I approach it have uh, an effect on the choice on the experiences we have in the moment so this is how synchronicities happen and we have as we're going through our life we have un undeniable moments of connection that that seem destined to happen and yet uh, i think that there's a way to understand that through science and when we do that we start to understand a little bit more about the meaningful choices that we're making all the time and at the bottom of meaningful choices are meaningful frames of mind how do we become more resilient people who can tolerate the anxiety and uncertainty and, and, and even goodness, who can tolerate goodness to be able to make choices that bring more of what we want in the world rather than expressing um, unexamined beliefs or, or worries or emotions that, that are guiding or controlling or compelling us to act a certain way. So I, I'm excited to talk more and, and hear from everybody here and support folks online with whatever's going on for them in their lives right now. Yeah, and Sky, thanks for sharing that. And do you want to read what you, I don't know if you posted that on Facebook today, but we're going to be talking about a few things here. And I was sharing at the beginning, like what the books that you guys have written, they're so relevant for right now, because Nick talking about the art of transformation, you talking about the importance of choices and Dr. E on super wellness and also uh, the frontiers of human potential. I feel like that synergy is, uh, you couldn't have a better synergy, you know? So can you just share a little bit about what you wrote today and- yeah, the, the call for this uh, meeting to gather us together that came to my mind was the following. What is the common message being presented to us today? COVID-19 is only the latest in a series of wake-up calls. But the question is, what are we being woken up to? Sitting in our homes, isolated, frustrated, scared, we can feel how important emotional resilience is. Can we tolerate the threat to physical safety and to financial safety in order to find the durability, compassion, and strength within us. The more emotionally competent our culture is, the greater chance we have of changing our ways. Beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, Nick, why don't you go next? Yeah, well, first, I, I'm so honored to be here. Um, I've, I've known you for a while now, Matt, and Sky for a long time, and happy to finally be introduced to Dr. Uh, very, very illustrious panel, and I think uh, a lot to offer all the way around. Um, but I'd be remiss if I didn't say my three little girls who have been stuck home with me for over um, Lily, Isla, and Ren. They're, they're watching live downstairs as we speak, so they'll get a thrill from that. Um, and I, I, my background is somewhat eclectic. Um, I'm an executive coach, business coach, and I've had stints in the business world and nonprofit world, but my background is really um, Tibetan Buddhist studies. And I have a fair amount of martial arts background as well. And I, Matt and I have talked about this um, quite a bit. And I, I'm really in how do we utilize this time as the training ground and the proving ground for our own future greatness. And saying in the martial arts world, maybe you've heard it, Matt, um, it says that the, the strongest sword is forged in the hottest fire. And we can't ask for a more hot fire than what's happening right now. And so looking at opportunity for our own growth and development, I think is one way forward. 
And so we are interested to talk more about that. Amazing. Beautifully Beautiful. said. I and, love that. Yeah. And Dr. E, welcome back. She's been on the show before. She's already been on one panel and you know, you've got a practice. I don't know if your practice is shut down. Um, you've got a little one in your arms. You, you're multitasking, but it's, it's so great. Every time I ask you to come on, you just enthusiastic. Yes. Even though I know how busy <laughs> you are. So thank you so much for coming back. Thank you so much. You've just poured your heart and soul into tapping into all the gems of your network and giving so generously. You know, I know that you don't make a dime off of this intense hard work of, you must be doing like 16, 18 hour days. You're not supposed to tell anybody, Dr. E. (laughs) (laughs) I run a podcast. I know that each and every podcast, but the behind the scenes work, there's so much more than just the conversation itself. The organizing free and post, every single podcast is something like a 10-hour labor of love that you just gift from your heart into the world. It's not a small thing. The, the, the beauty and heart and authenticity with which you give and give and give for so many years, so consistently, day after day after day. I just want to point out. I know that we people don't take you for granted because it's such life-changing stuff that you're sharing, but just this is the example that I feel like we're all um, needing it right now. And I'm kind of, I'm finding myself a lot on the verge of tears because I have these moments of, of such overwhelm. Then I write down my gratitudes and just the tears just start pouring. And all day is like that. Floods of overwhelm gratitude, overwhelm gratitude, overwhelm gratitude. And I it's, it's a roller coaster that I feel like we're all on together. And um, I feel like I had a session with my community last night and I had a really great, you know, like whole, whole curriculum plan for what to do, the meditation and all the talking points. And then I felt kind of stressed and overwhelmed and I started writing my gratitude and then oops it was six o'clock time to go live and the tears were just pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring and I was a big hot mess and it was perfect you know I feel like we need to just give ourselves permission to just let it rip some days let our hearts be broken open these days I I had so much grief as I was writing my gratitude, things started coming up that grief around every single time I've walked past a homeless person, but I was, you know, too important to stop because our natural state is to connect and care. But the economics of our society makes us rush, rush, rush all the time. So this, this unnatural push-pull, or what about how we treat the planet? The economics is that it's just more economical to use like single-use disposable shitty stuff, to eat conventional foods instead of organic food. And all of this, it was just floods and floods and floods of how wrong all these things are and how we've set up a society and allowed it to go on for way too long. To, to allow the system to let us live in such, such a way that is so out of our inner state of kindness and caring and goodness. Humans are innately good and 
just I just just felt so much grief around that. So forgive me if I start just flooding into tears because I'm just feeling so raw from from all the intensity of, of these realizations as systems around us start crashing. And I think the true colors and our true clarity of how we like to create our lives is actually starting to be um to surface. Hmm. My girl has a lot to say too, apparently. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing so candidly. And, um, you know, I really appreciate the kind words and I feel like you do the exact same. And I think everybody on this panel, uh, we've, we've all stayed connected and in touch because I, I look at how you operate in the world and all of you guys have that character. And one of the things that comes up on the podcast is, you know, what, what is enlightenment or what does an enlightened society look like? And one of those simple principles for me is what can I give? You know, it looks like our societies and cultures have been like, what can I get? And we need to survive and we need what we need, but we've been maybe going a little bit too far for that. But you guys are definitely examples of what can I give and how do I uh, make my own being, my own self, my own way of life, an example of my own mastery and share that with others. So um, I definitely appreciate having you guys on. And I, I resonate with that, you know, emotional side, you know, you've got California shut down, nothing like this has ever happened on the planet before. So a lot of people are dealing with a lot of fear, um, that basic security, are we going to be okay? And I love the reflection on the systems. Um, you know, when I was studying with a lot with the Native American elders, they always say, you know, when you go to past a homeless person, stop and get their name, you know, you, you're in the spiritual world. And you're supposed to be spiritual. Well, that person's holding a sign and asking for help. Don't judge them, help them. And so I think that this is an opportunity for us to reflect on our own choices, uh, what's happening in the world. And, you know, one of the examples I've been bringing up is that, you know, it's awful that a lot of us are facing our mortality, um, but 9.1 million people each year die of starvation. And when I was younger, I couldn't believe how many, I couldn't understand how there's so many millionaires, but people were dying because they didn't have enough food. It didn't make any sense. And that, and that now, I hope, gives us an opportunity to see us as a global community, to see every life as equal, to see, um, you know, just look at the values of how we're operating in each level of, of what we do in society. And so, you know, I know we're going to talk on a lot of different things here, but the first thing I'd like to address is maybe using this as an opportunity for transformation. As Nick said in martial arts, you know, the hot, hottest fire makes the, the greatest sword or even all the guests that I've had on. So many people got to that other side of the life that they preferred or the health or, or living in alignment with their true values after there was a catalyst, some sort of uncomfortable experience. And we're all in an uncomfortable experience now. So the, the issue, though, is that when we get afraid, we limit our choices. And that Sky's book is about how do we make those right choices? How do we make a good choice, although we're terrified? Maybe we're, we're running out of money. Maybe we're afraid of our security. Maybe we're now afraid of that person. And we start to limit these choices. And that's where, you know, we might not make the choice that we want because we're making it out of fear. And so I'll just kind of put that to the group. And whoever wants to kind of bite into that, they can. Um, what would you guys suggest for just... Um, beginning emotional re resilience and handling this fear and uncertainty that we're all facing right now. Yeah, no, I think that's a, it's a point well taken, Matt. Um, how might we transform this experience into something that becomes the cap for our future growth? And I think that it's hard to do 
when you're overwhelmed with fear. And one of the ways that you can combat fear, um, really, honestly, one of the only ways that I found effective is to really just focus on what's right in front of you at the moment. So kind of an, an extreme form of mindfulness, you know, check in with your breathing, check in with the, your physical sensations and really focus on what is present here. Um, because a lot of the things that we get caught up in are actually just mental projections, not to say that they're not true or not valid, um, or not powerful, but an antidote to fear is practicing immediate presence. Um, now that being, and this is a scary time and there are real challenges and, and real suffering that's happening right now. But a guiding question, I think for many people would be, how do I transform this moment? into that catalyst, like you were saying, of my own future greatness or my own future for other people. And that's really what it comes down to. And Dr. E said it so well, like, how do we shift from the expediency of economies to a more long-term vision for the planet and for ourselves? Beautifully said, Nick. I wanna start by reflecting on what Dr. Edith, Edith said and say, and say thank you to you because you brought me to the place I want to be in this conversation by sharing vulnerably and expressing yourself the way you did. That's where I want to be myself personally. And I needed a little bit of an invitation to go there. So I really appreciate that. Uh, I think that one of the, the my, my, my vision for in my life, how, you're just, what you're talking about, Nick, you know, how I want to see that unfold in my life is being, I talk about, we, we, a lot of us talk about flow. So let me get out of my own way and just flow with it. <laughs> uh, when we get into flow, we're not thinking about what we're doing or feeling. We're naturally sort of moving through it. And one of the things that gets in the way of flow is blocked emotion. Like when we resist having a feeling, we can't keep going. I mean, we, we, we can keep going, but that feeling, which, and the one I'm really talking about is grief. When the feeling of grief is unacceptable to us and we, we won't let it in, then it turns into things like anxiety and stress. And so for me, when I'm feeling anxious or stressful, I almost always feel that underneath it, there's something I'm grieving that I, I haven't quite opened to and let, and let, let happen. Like, I mean, I, at any moment I can, I can actually, if I'm skilled enough, I can touch into my grief around the loss of many ecosystems on the planet and the loss of the, the way that we have been able to live peacefully and yet are coming under constraining resources and the, the animals that are dying. And so there's always grief there. There's always grief available there. And, and when we walk by a homeless person on the street or see people in different socioeconomic means and we're not touching into what that feels like to see that and experience that, we all have that in various ways, then we're just pushing away a, a layer of grief that's there, I think, for, for everybody in different ways. But when we push that away, it stops us from getting to what's next and we just stay in this place of not wanting to feel what it is we're really feeling. And, and I feel like what we could come to is uh, a communal way of being where we hold that grief in everything we do. So I'm in a business meeting and I'm not like dwelling in my grief and crying, but I'm aware that the decisions I'm making have an impact on people in ways that I can't control. 
and that are painful. And I, I'm doing the best I can at all times and not beating myself up about it, but also not pushing it away and unable to face that. I think we, there's a way of holding our pain and our grief right there so people can see it and yet going, with, going along with our lives that can actually influence the choices that we make in a way that is more wholesome and beneficial for all of us together. Beautifully said. Oh, go ahead, Dr. E. It's interesting to consider that in Chinese medicine, grief is trapped in the lungs. Grief actually injures your lungs. And processing grief and transcending beyond the grief is, is like the higher power of your lung system from a spiritual perspective. So everybody's caring about lung health these days. And I think it needs to be said that this is an integral part of healthy lung function, according to Chinese medicine. Interesting. Well, you guys all made amazing points. And just adding that, Dr. E, you know, I've been doing a lot of podcasts recently on uh, health experts, uh, different food, gut health, um, diabetes, things like that. And what became abundantly clear is that if we don't have our health in check, it's really hard to imagine an extraordinary life. And if we're not living an extraordinary life by our own standards, um, whatever that is, um, with integrity and values, it's going to be hard for us to be of service to our community. It's going to be harder for us to be of service to our planet because what we're doing is we're trying to get money so we can survive, so we can pay the bills. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's just what seems to be happening out there. So like Dr. E said, you, you don't have time to you know, notice that homeless person or, or sink into like really feeling that. You know, I think there's a Jack Johnson song. You know, he just talks about you know, reading the news and how he's just like, why does nobody, you know, they read it with a straight face, all these kind of terrible things that are happening. And so as a lot of people sit in the quarantine there, they have this opportunity to reflect on it a little bit. And what I'm reminded of is these ancient teachings, you know, in Buddhism, they talk about right livelihood. And I'm sure there's about a thousand Zen lessons here. But one of them is, you know, you don't have certainty. You know, there is this bigger unknown, and we're all facing this unknown, you can plan, but something may happen. And so maybe you guys can speak a little bit about how you deal with a little bit of this, this um, uncertainty and this overwhelm and this fear, because I think that wherever you are in the world, everybody is dealing with this in some way. Um, the last guest I had on, with Dr. Will, amazing guy, full doctor, you know, has a whole practice. And he's concerned because he has to pay his staff, you know. And so he's feeling empathy and sadness because he knows that they have families and he doesn't know what to do, but he can't pay his mortgage. And so it feels like we're all in this together in some degree. And maybe you guys can speak a little bit on that. Yeah, that's really well put. Um it's fun being part of a panel where you can listen and, and gain so much, you know, without even saying a word. Um, I think if you're thinking about the Buddhist um, way of being regarding right livelihood, it really comes down to intention, right? Of course, there are some livelihoods that are more, uh, let's say, directly beneficial than others. So, for instance, Dr. E, you know, being a, a healthcare practitioner, um, that is going contribute to a person's overall well-being so relatively easy to line that up with the dharma intention around right livelihood but even for people that are um you know even now like working we are up in northern california working in um, grocery stores and places like that if they're coming to work with the intention to help people to be of benefit tremendous tremendous positive um, merit of energy being generated there and a real opportunity to create some spiritual uh, around that. So that's, I would say that's one aspect in terms of like right livelihood. And I think that 
you know, the other, the other thing that you mentioned was the uncertainty and the instability. And I think that thinking about our current situation in terms of stability, <laughs> I don't know if you can hear my kids there in the background. Everybody in California is at home, so it might be a little bit louder than usual. Um, stability and certainty are essentially illusions. And so one of the, I think, gifts in this is that we're all called or invited to really live in that beginner's mind, which is completely clear of any kind of certainty, because that itself is the illusion. Other you guys want to chime in on that? I'm, I'm reminded that actually what, what comes to me a lot of times I go to nature when things get overwhelmed, I just go for a walk and I sit on a rock and I hug a tree and I just allow the answers to be shown to me. I think I mentioned this in our last panel. There's this rock that my son and I always go, thank you, rock, thank you, rock, thank you, rock, thank you, rock. He calls it the thank you rock and he climbs all over it and touches it everywhere and, and sends thank yous to this rock. And so he's built up quite a vortex of like power energy from this rock. He says that when he says thank you to the one rock, by the way, this is a side note. He says that the rock says thank you to all other rocks, which ripples into anybody who ever touches any other rock on the planet. He's, he's five, he says stuff like this all the time. And so anybody else who touches the rock or the trees near the rock will feel his thank you. And that's why he builds it up every single time. So if I'm not with him, I go to the thank you rock and I just touch it and let inspiration be shown to me. And I'm shown that we are all this subconscious field of mental, emotional energy that we've swept under the rug for millennia is being brought to the surface stressful times brings these things out. Sometimes subconscious mental patterns you can access through meditation, through hypnosis, or through stress. You know, and so all of this has surfaced. And I always like to invite everybody to remember that actually all this stuff that's being stirred up, maybe is yours, maybe it's not yours maybe it's passed down from generations and generations of humanity that hasn't been dealt with. And what a courageous soul you are, we all are, that we came here to the planet at this time to assist in that cleanup. It's a huge thing. Everybody's here for that right now. And just to be gentle with ourselves to not say, oh, why am I anxious? I've been meditating for years and, and, you know, doing personal growth. I should be more calm and stable and enlightened. Well, maybe your work right now is to be processing, processing. Just be a big hot mess right now. Maybe that's okay right now. Maybe that's what's needed is the time out to feel everything properly. To just be raw like crazy and just just be a big hot mess sometimes. Maybe that's what we need to do to properly heal this stuff once and for all. Thank you, Dr. Edith. Um, I think it's it's valuable to give ourselves space. And uh, you brought up uncertainty, Matt and when we're not really allowed to have space for uncertainty 
in our in our daily life like you're you're supposed to know and when you have uncertainty i mean look at the candidates for the politics right now if you don't know something it's a mark against you if you don't have an answer it's a mark against you so it's actually on us the people listening to the conversation that are creating a politics in which we're supposed to know and yet as as buddhism and taoism tell us and as we are seeing like we don't know the systems we have are not fundamentally sound they're based on structures that are, that can fall apart under very simple conditions and so we need i i would like to have more space in our society for not knowing be able to allow people in leadership to not know so that we can actually come to solutions that are we actually don't come to solutions let's spend some time actually addressing or identifying what the problem really is you know if we're if we're out there trying to build the economy all the time we're not addressing maybe the under an underlying problem that we feel empty and our lives feel meaningless sometimes and we're trying to fill that with the excitement about a new toy or a new new purchase and like that's not wrong i like having my my technology and i like having my house but not to the expense of or the exclusion of actually understanding what it is about my life that's worth living what is it i, I really am seeking in my life and so i'm not trying to replace that ultimate quest for meaning with you know just a daily routine so I have this exercise that comes to mind that helps me deal with flow and or with fear and it, it starts it's the word flow f-l-o-w and it starts with identifying the thing we're afraid of identifying some fear and once we've identified that then ask what are we afraid to lose if that fear happens and this can be really really deep like in the in the situation we're in right now people are really standing to lose a lot we're, we're losing access to a clean planet with climate change we're losing access to our health and to a stable economy those things are possible like that's what we're afraid of right it doesn't mean that they're happening but we can hold some uncertainty and and say okay this is what i'm afraid of losing and once we've opened to what we're afraid of losing, asking ourselves what will really occur if that happens. So we've got F-L-O, what will occur? And if we lose, if our economy doesn't um, come back to the way we wanted it to be, what will occur? And we might find that there's some things that we're running away from, that we're afraid are gonna happen, that keep us acting on that, on that hamster wheel, keep us doing and doing and doing. And then finally, this last step I think is really important and sometimes takes time, but to be willing to allow that possibility to be. Not necessarily to, that it's true, but to be willing to acknowledge the possibility that our fears can occur. And if they do, that we, will, we can feel into the grief of what that feels like. 
And I don't, I don't think this is useful in order to make us you know, panic. It's actually more about letting us open up to our grief and not be running away from this thing that's actually trying, that's keeping us stuck in our patterns. And for me, when I, when I follow this process and I allow myself to feel those fears and, and touch into what I'm afraid of losing and be willing to, to live that and feel that, then I get back on the horse of like, okay, but I'm alive right now and I've got another day in front of me. What do I wanna do with it? Who do I wanna to touch? What do I wanna say that's gonna mean something to somebody? And I feel like I'm more alive and more ready to take on my life without my own depressing thoughts in the way and, and I feel more invigorated. I think all you guys made amazing points and, and what it makes me think about is just overall how we're experiencing and living our lives. You know, for me, when I'm doing coaching with a lot of people or I do a very specific um, hypnosis session where basically our minds, you know, they're hardwired in our consciousness. The number one job is to ensure we survive. To survive in today's world, we need to eat. We've always needed to eat, but we used to hunt for that. But now to eat, we need a coupon and that is money. And so if we do not have enough of those coupons, then we might die. And so if we want to live our life purpose, if we want to help that homeless person, if we want to make positive change, if we want to go volunteer, well, that's, we're not going to get any coupons for that, right? And so we automatically equate that with our survival, whether consciously or subconsciously. And that's how a lot of things are run. And so the really cool thing is when people under hypnosis or people really reflect, you could even just really contemplate on this, what's most important to you? And always people say the same things. You know, it's, it's autonomy, being able to move freely. It's learning things that they enjoy. It's being around people they love. It's their family. And one of the great reflections that's been happening in this is people are stuck at home with their family. Um, some of them might be going a little bit nuts, um, but you know what I mean? But at the same time, um, there's all these beautiful scenarios. And then they think, you know, like even uh, Dr. Will or Dr. B, well, Will, um, he, he was saying yesterday, you know, we got off the phone. I was like, well, you know, even for you, they say a 40 hour work week. I was like, wouldn't it be great to design like something where you could work 20 hours, but you could have more autonomy, making more impact online. Um, kind of something I spoke to you guys about and why I run the podcast, because, you know, I can only coach one person and I could have these conversations with you guys or people that I would call personally to have the conversation we're having right now so that I can learn and navigate this so I can grow as a human being and the technology allows for other people to observe this and hopefully learn something or hear something that can help them in their lives. And so when we get right down to it, what we need and what we want and what's most important to us are very simple and they don't cost anything. But the challenge is that the way everything's set up now, we need to go make money for that. And so I'm curious if um, you guys can definitely ask each other questions or take it in a different direction, but how do you see like what good things have come from this and, and how are you guys seeing this use as like constructive? You know, what would you recommend for some people? Cause I have, I know it's very stressful, but I've also heard a lot of beautiful stories and I don't know if this is from a movie or a podcast or where I heard this, but this father is talking to his daughter and they're looking at all these crisis situations and his advice to her was look at the helpers, you know, look at the good. Every, you know, Bruce Lee broke his back and he was able to heal himself and come back and become the martial artist he was. I've had countless guests on the podcast that face this adversity and were, were able to overcome it. But I feel like that perspective 
of the ability to overcome it, to face it as it is, to know that you're strong enough to overcome this and have that little bit of faith to that, whether it's higher power or God or universe or yourself, just having that capability. Those are those things that are going to help you grow as a person and they're necessary to go to uh, go through to get to that next level. So I'll be quiet with that and see what you guys have to think. I think that was um, Mr. Rogers who had that quote. Mr. Rogers' mom, I think, is the one that said, you know, <laughs> there's a crisis, look for the helpers. And I'm so blown away to be in all of you guys' presence and, and to watch how our community has blossomed, the generosity and the goodness of heart that is just being unleashed across not just our com little communities, but across the whole planet right now. Um, what was your original question? I had a thought that, that it triggered. Um, what opportunities do you see and, and how can we use this time uh, productively? Um, not only like the opportunities for the individual, but the opportunity, opportunities for the planet as a species. You know, one of the things I used to think about and I use this on the podcast is like, if aliens were playing the Olympics, you know, and they saw Earth, they wouldn't invite us because we're violent. You know what I mean? We're like little angry children with clubs that will club somebody else to take their things. They wouldn't want to invite us up there. We haven't even learned how to get along down here, right? People have a different uh, belief, a different look, a different way of being, but we don't accept them. We, we have these systems where we suppress and hold down certain people for power and, and certain systems that we kind of complicitly allow happen. Um, and then sometimes we just do it overtly. You believe this thing, so you know we can't even be kind and compassionate to each other. And so I feel like on a planet, we have a huge opportunity to grow up. And I would love, it would be, you know, my biggest wish and blessing to see a planet where uh, we have peace, actually have peace. I don't understand how we don't have it now. It still doesn't make any sense to me. You can tell me politics all day. It still doesn't make any sense. I'm not allowed to murder anyone, which is fair. I shouldn't be. And I shouldn't be allowed to murder anybody with bigger weapons. And then that's called war. And then that's okay somehow. And so... Um, I remember that learning this uh, tool from Michael Lozier, one of my first mentors who wrote the law of attraction. And we're really good at knowing what we don't want. If you go on a bad date, you'll say, oh, he did this, he did that, he did that, he did that, he did that. Well, law of attraction says whatever you focus on, you get more of. So the beautiful thing about catalyst is we know what we want now when we stop and say, so what do I want? Right? So if I don't want to be in quarantine, so what do I want? I want to be outside. If I don't want to be worried about money, what do I want? I want to know my basic needs are met. If I don't want to be uh, worried about dying from a disease, what do I want? Empowered health. Dr. E, that's what you teach. That's what you guys are teaching. If I don't want to work 80 hours and hate my job, what do I want? I want inspiring work. And so on a planet, we have this huge catalyst to look at all these things that we're kind of like, you know, we don't want that. So what do we want? Let's focus there. Let's unite and let's start building that. One of the great gifts of, um, well, the great gifts of this situation that I see, which is related to the grief that I've been processing, is how the economics has skewed behavior so in such an unnatural way that is just out of harmony with the goodness that nature already had baked in. It's almost like we've developed this economic system on this planet that is against natural law. And now that there is crisis and many people are not able to pay rents or buy groceries, it's forcing us to get real about how economics has never worked properly for any of us. It has always been wrongly aligned. 
one of the big things in my book, Super Wellness, I talk about is um, we have this like, this is my book. Um, it has three parts. In the first part, we bust some myths. And one of the big myths when people get sick is that healing always has to be so expensive and complicated. And so the moment people worry about their health, it instantly makes them think how expensive it's going to be if they ever got sick and had to heal themselves. And it doesn't have to be that way. Now with hospital systems being pushed to the brink, we have to ask some real hard questions about how, where is society's priorities? How do we realign the economics back to humans' priorities? And another huge piece is because of profit-making agendas, we've been kind of educated and indoctrinated through advertisements and programming to focus on solutions that will make somebody a lot of money. So there's just a lot of programming, like buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this. And it's not, it's not that those things don't actually have value. Like the things that you would have to spend money to buy do have value. In terms of health and wellness, it's not that drugs and surgery don't have a place in society. But we've unwittingly allowed the marketing machinery to skew our perspective to just those, those very narrow options. And we've forgotten the vast majority of our health and well-being, because that's my expertise, I'll just focus on that. The vast majority of our health and well-being comes from things that are completely free. And there's tons of scientific research around it. Breath work is completely free. Spend time to chill out and do nothing once in a while is completely free. Go get some sunshine, fresh air, sleep in complete darkness, just turn out the lights properly, not having devices blinking at you all night long. Hugs and friendship, hopefully that you, there's, there's somebody you can hug, you know, during quarantine time, you, kind of hunker down and figure out who is the, the person whose germs you're willing to um, connect with. And, and, and it's also helping us to get clear as soon as we come out of quarantine. That's one of the first things that we realize that it's like um, fundamental nourishment that we need. So in my classes, I often start off with asking people to consider, besides just food and water, of course those are important, what nourishes you deeply that you need in order to live that you haven't been giving to yourself? Like what nourishes your physical body? What nourishes your mind, your emotions, and your soul? Very often in this wellness class that I teach, that first class when people start journaling, sometimes they start laughing and sometimes they start crying. All these emotions come up because people realize that that it was you know, they were having anxiety and they were going to take various medications and getting different therapies. And not that those aren't valuable, but those are just kind of band-aid solutions if you don't address the root cause of what you're really hungry for. We're hungry for connection. We're hungry for time for contemplation. We're hungry for friendship. We're hungry for a life that's lived with passion and meaning and purpose, you know, and those are things that they don't, 
doesn't have to cost a lot of money to bring back into your life on a consistent basis and actually see those things as the true essential nutrients. They talk about, you know, you need omega-3s and vitamin B and D and all this stuff, but what about hugs and love? What about a good night's sleep? What about fresh air and spending time in nature? Those are actually maybe as essential as vitamin D, B, or C. You know, so out there right now, all this immune system talk is about which vitamins and which supplements you need to be taking from outside in when the inside dimension isn't sorted out yet. And so that's now that we're on lockdown in California at least one week now, I think people are settling into that spaciousness to consider this deeper dimension. And it's a very good thing. Yeah, I think that's a... That's very well said. Um, I think that re-evaluating and re-examining what it is that's most important for us to really be focusing on, to live our most joyful, most blissful, most authentic life is certainly one of the invitations that we're experiencing through this crisis. Um, when, I, when I think about it from kind of a traditionally trained Buddhist framework, I think about two sort of broad strokes. The first is that invitation to really be able to transform something that is seemingly negative into something that's positive. And that actually takes a, an effort of will, right? So it's like, how, how am I going to take this thing that might be perceived as a difficulty, a challenge, even a failure on the one hand, transform it into a gift, a blessing, um, the, the bounce that leads me to the next level. And then on the other hand, I'm thinking about to really go deeper oneself and to access that part of us that Dr. Yu was saying, that spaciousness that really affirms who we are without the necessity to go further or to do anything at all in terms of adding to the perfection of one's being. So I'll give you a couple of examples. The first, I mean, it's a story about in, in my book, but it's one that my dad used to tell me as a kid. And it's well actually in East Asia. And it's like, look, there was a, there was a guy, a farmer who lost his horse and everybody, all the villagers said, Oh, that's so terrible. You know, you lost your horse and said, Oh yeah, it could be a blessing. could be a curse. And then the next day his horse comes back with two horses. He like found these two wild horses that come back and, and everybody says, isn't that great? And the farmer says, Oh yeah, it could be a blessing. Could be. And then sure enough, his son, He's riding one of the horses, breaks his leg. Oh, that's horrible. Farmer, of course, says, could be a blessing, could be a curse. And then finally, like, the army comes through. Oh, we're taking all the well-bodied men to war. And then his son, because of the broken leg, missed out on you know, being taken to a, to a dangerous war. And so it's this idea that what we perceive as a potential blessing or a curse actually lies within our own power around how we something. And so that's, that's one of the invitations, I think. That's kind of, if I had to, if I had to lay a more obvious um, invitation, like how are we going to be able to reframe difficulty as possibility? That's one aspect. The other aspect is what is it about our awareness or our insight that can lead us to a deeper place of spaciousness, of spirituality, of wholeness, of spirit of God, whatever you want to call it, in a way that sustains us 
without having to worry about external situations. Because I think is ultimately what's going to happen. Ultimately, we are going to lose everything. We are all going to we will every single thing, whether it's COVID-19 or whether it's our death 150 years from now. But that time is coming. And what are we going to do in the interim to be able to deeply understand who it is that we are? I would love to hear um, Sky's perspective on some of this related to flow too. Some really wonderful um, perspectives and feelings and statements from everybody. Um, I feel like there's this symbolism that really strikes me. When we look at what's happening in politics the past year and the past five years and the past nine years and the past 13 years, or whatever those numbers, I'm making up those numbers, right? <laughs> but is we don't really enjoy being around each other. You know, just to put it really simply, if we're kids on a playground, we're playing in separate groups. And why don't we enjoy being around each other? Well, we don't really agree on what we think is right. And we think the other person has something, you know, negative to holding against us. And we don't really spend a lot of time looking deeply enough to, to, to see whether we're really saying different things or there's some similarities between us. And so we form into different communities, different colors that we associate with in politics. And, and we assume that that's now our team and we fight with each other. And it's not just politics, it's also countries, you know, this country versus that country. And so we don't really like being around each other. And I mean, this is of course a broad stroke and sort of metaphorical thing, right? And then we have this, this situation where we're on quarantine and we're basically told you can't be around each other. You're not allowed to except your own family. And our families are the ones we spend most of our time providing for. At least that's my experience. I spend most of my time with my family, making sure we have enough money and resources and um, planning our schedule. And suddenly that's, that's all I have. And I'm so, so grateful. I love my family and I'm, I'm grateful for this opportunity. And yet it's interesting that now I'm not allowed to be with other people and I'm starting to appreciate and ask myself, wow, what would it be like to, to not be able to be around you for and all the people across the country or across the world that might be different for me. What would it be like not to have these people in my life? And that would actually feel like a real loss. As much as I complain about them when I watch the news, that would actually be a real loss. Because if that really happened, I would be very filled with grief. It doesn't matter what people think differently than I do. If I lost them, I would be filled with grief. And that's, this is waking me up to that, reminding me that we care about each other at a very deep level. If we can get underneath the hurt that stretches back before we were born, get underneath the hurt, we care about each other. And ultimately, if we're not acting from that place of caring about each other, then we're, we're living a lie of some kind. Um, this is Nick's book. I'm going to do you an advertisement here, Nick. Shift. It's a really nice book. The Art of Personal Transformation, Art of Transforming Limitations. And he tells this story about uh, a woman who doesn't like her mother-in-law. You know this story, Nick? You know the one I'm going to read? And she doesn't like her mother-in-law. And she's trying to figure out how to get along with her. She just doesn't. And so she goes to this herbalist and asks if the herbalist can help her. And the herbalist, you know, it's kind of dark. The herbalist 
and she agree that she can give her a tincture that will pretty quickly get rid of her mother-in-law. <laughs> just has to, you know, give it to her. And don't, but she, don't get any ideas, people. There's a, there's a moral <laughs> to the story. Yeah. It ends well. <laughs> yeah. And and she says, but but so you don't become under suspicion. Make sure that you you do it slowly over time. Just give her a little bit every night and be really, really nice to her in the meantime. So everyone thinks that you're on really good terms. So the woman does this, she follows the instructions. And after about a month, she comes back to the herbalist and she says, well, there's a problem. I really like my mother-in-law now. We were really getting along now and I'm afraid that I've poisoned her. And the herbalist says, well, don't worry. I've just been giving you an herbal remedy, uh, tonic. So you're good, but you can see how your perspective and your attitude is what shifted the relationship. So please, please respond to that if you want to, or just, you know, relationship. And, and you said, Dr. Edith, that, you know, so much of what really makes us healthy is free. And relationship is this thing that, I mean, imagine if all of our relationships in humanity and in our families, in our collective, if those were all good, our life would be so different. And the, the wellness we would feel would be incredible. And that is free. It doesn't take any money to change the way that we interact with each other and the way we feel from our hearts for each other. Nick, do you want to add on? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you, CI, for um, promoting my book. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. I, I think that having a choice around our perspective is the ultimate kind of freedom. And that choice is available to us all the time. And the gift in this challenge is that we are forced to face that or not. And the choice, it lies with us. And so from that perspective, it's ultimately empowering, right? And that's, that's the space that I'm holding personally. And while, while still also holding the space for grief, because I understand I'm in a great deal of suffering, you know, difficulty both for myself and, and for the world. And so you can't not acknowledge that and you can't not stay in it, but also as the clarion change, I think that is um, one of the greatest goods that can come from this. And I'm wondering if uh, Dr. E is, she's probably had many, many come to her trying to poison their loved, their loved ones, their significant others, in-laws. That's, I'm sure that's quite common, right, Dr. E? You know, um, I was, as we were talking about all of this, another gift that actually came to me is just the gift of apparent limitation can unleash new possibilities in all these surprising ways. Isn't that why people do retreats? Because we all know that possibility, but we don't know what, what gifts are waiting for us unless we choose to say no to all the noise on the outside world, all the abundant um, entertainment out there to get really still so we can listen more deeply within ourselves. Honey, can you um, either be in and out? My boy is going in, out, in, out. <laughs> this isn't affecting him at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one, of the, one of the things I mentioned um, to my group last night um, in my community, we had a live call and somebody said, can you please talk more about the dark room meditation retreat that you attended? Because that seems very relevant these days. <laughs> And so um, 
2013, I went to this retreat in Thailand with a great meditation teacher. I love her so much. Check her out. Her name is Jazz Muheen. And um, it's an 11-day retreat where you spend nine days and nine nights in complete darkness. So in addition to being um, disconnected from all the internet and the world and conversations with the outside world, we're also, most of us were choosing to fast. Some people did juice, but I did a fast and just a little bit of water and no food. Um, full disclaimer, I don't recommend anybody do prolonged fasting without medical supervision, please. Don't do anything dangerous. But in this case, I decided I don't know when I'm going to have such an opportunity to go really deep like that. So I'm just going to go all out, complete fast the whole time, you know, just as deep within myself as possible. And there were quite a few things that I learned from that apparent limitation unleashing a new kind of freedom. I learned so many just basic practical things. Like first of all, the first 72 hours in complete darkness, I realized that our noisy world out there is just not, not only noisy in terms of information overload, just noise from everybody telling you how to live your life and you don't get to hear how you want to live your life. So checking out of that to check in with yourself, that is a huge piece of every retreat. But also just the light, the light, there's information in the kinds of screens and artificial lighting that we experience and that's a kind of noise too. And if you can, really sleeping in complete darkness is a kind of nourishment that your physiology needs in order to get that deeper inner clarity. There's a physiology to that very still state of saturating your body with melatonin, which then when it's saturated becomes DMT, which we know is a visionary molecule and the insights come with that kind of physiology within your body also. And so people do this kind of darkness meditation retreat because it triggers a DMT release from inside out. I know that Matt's had some near-death experiences and we know that there's the DMT molecules involved in those too. And that those are always, if you talk to anybody that's had a near-death experience, they are pretty much always changed forever. Their priorities, their understanding, the wisdom that they live with is completely altered after near-death experience. Darkroom meditation retreat can serve like that, like not actually put yourself in danger of dying but trigger that same physiology. So many insights started coming in, and at first it was like, oh, this is boring. And then gradually over time, one insight, another insight, your meditations, instead of meditations coming to you with insight after insight, it was also shown to you in this like 3D omnivision, multi-dimensional color scenes. So you feel really confident about the answers that are coming to you. And gradually, day by day by day, there's like an exponential growth curve. So I share this with everybody to, to say that maybe the initial days of lockdown and of taking in the news that we have to quote unquote physically isolate or socially isolate, at first it just seems like, oh, how boring. But on the other side of that boredom is something like an exponential explosion of insights that is waiting for you. If you're just willing to be with that bit of boredom and discomfort for the initial days. 
there's so many insights that were shown to me like and practical things like like um i was needing to build a website i just sat in meditation and said please show to me how to build this website and boom <laughs> you know the, the answers just come in a flood like a download and going very very still can have that possibility of answers coming so clear and so powerfully that you have no doubt anymore. And so a lot of those kinds of things happen throughout the day. And at the end of the darkroom retreat on the last day, at sunset time, we put on sunglasses because we're used to meditating in complete darkness for so many days, we have to gradually adjust to the outside world. At sunset time, we all put on sunglasses and we step out of the dark cave setup. And it was like unimaginable beauty. It was just walking out and looking at a tree and looking at a sunset. But the beauty of it, the dimensions of color and the vibrations and the energies that you're able to perceive because you put yourself on lockdown in this apparent limitation. And then when you come out, suddenly you see dimensions of beauty and color and vibrations and information around you that you didn't know existed before. And I realized that those gifts, that beauty was always there. I just didn't have the eyes to see it. And I noticed that when I run wellness workshops, when we do, for example, a simple juicing or water fast, sense of smell and taste, all this stuff gets heightened. So when they go back to eating regular food, the guidance system is so strong, they're so clear what their body prefers to eat or not prefer to eat, you know, so that there's no more doubt. You don't need external nutritionists to tell you anymore because your inner GPS system is turned back on. So all of this is to say that sometimes we need limitations for us to get our internal GPS recalibrated. And then out of that recalibration, there is a gifts and beauties that have always been there before, but we didn't have the ability to perceive it properly unless we put ourselves on those types of apparent um, limitations, these situations where we go retreat and go deeper within ourselves. Thank you, Dr. Edith. I, I really can resonate with that. I think that we want, we think we want abundance all the time. We want lots of stuff. We want as much resources as we can. Everybody seems to strive for as much money as possible. And when you have this much, you, you just, you want more. Like, um, so I, I really, I, and I've found in my life that under times of constraint, I am often more creative, more fulfilled, more fulfilled. I mean, having a baby, for instance, and a young child, there's not a time in my life I've been more constrained than that. And yet that was the most fulfilling time of my life. Uh, one of the things that ex I experience that keeps me from being able to appreciate beauty that makes me need to go into retreat, makes me need to sort of find a way to step back, is my worry. When I've got a chatter of worry in my head, I can't see the beauty in things. I can't focus on a conversation. I can't walk through nature and appreciate the fact that a tree is growing there on that spot and has been stood there for 125 years and there's a nest in that tree and that bird flies in and out and how long has that bird been alive and how many 
eggs as it hatched. And, you know, you can see into the life of everything you see if, if you take, if you have the eyes for it. And what keeps me from that most of the time is the worry that I have. And often it's like a worry about how am I going to have this conversation with somebody or how am I going to get my taxes done on time or how am I going to reschedule this appointment on Wednesday. And a lot of these worries are actually not really necessary. And there, we can agree that there are some worries that are necessary, like how do we prepare ourselves to be a resilient society that can not have our economy crash after two days of not having people fly airplanes and, and do, do their businesses, that can survive um, socially and can, we can lift each other up through this kind of uh, trauma. Uh, how do we build that resilience? Well, one of the, I'd like to give a tool that I find to be very useful at a very practical level that helps me distinguish between the things that are unnecessary to worry about and those things that are really worth my attention. And these things going on right now are really worth our attention. And that's, that's really important to acknowledge. And so this tool is about letting go of the other things. So this is about reprogramming worry. And again, worry about the things that you, that you find actually end up working out. So if there are any things in your life that end up kind of working out on a regular basis, but you, you still worry about them, you know, maybe you're somebody who worries about paying your rent every month, but it sort of works out. And you, you've always had enough. And some people that's not the case for. But for some of us, that's uh, an ongoing worry that doesn't necessarily manifest. So I think it's really valuable when we have a worry like that, make sure we go back and re-experience the, the times that we're worried when we find out that our worry didn't happen. So if I'm worried about something on Monday and on Thursday it works out and I, you know, I'm worried about a meeting I'm supposed to have with my boss and on Thursday it ends up going really well, I need to go back to Monday in my mind and become that person that was worried on Monday. I need to remember what that felt like to be worried about this meeting with my boss and how the stories I went into in my head, the feelings of anxiety and tension that I went into. I need to go back to Monday and re-feel that and let that feeling absorb into my body. And then with that feeling in my body of stress and worry, remember that actually it worked out. This meeting went well. And so I can retrain myself from those difficult feelings I can mix in this relief that I feel that something worked out with the anxiety that I felt at the time. And it allows me to have a different felt experience of my situation. If I'm worried this month about where my income is going to come from, and then next month I get a new client or find a new job offer, I want to go back to when I was worried and anxious and heal that part of myself that was worried and anxious by feeling, allowing myself to re-experience that, that pain and then let in the, the nourishment of, I got that job or I got that, that client. And what this allows me to do is the next time that the situation comes up, which it always does, because there's always some other time when I'm stressed about money or I'm worried about a meeting with somebody, it gives me not only evidence in my head to say, well, it might work out fine. It gives me evidence in my felt emotions, in my body. It feels different when that happens. And suddenly I feel uh, a, a greater sense of ease and less of that tension, that, that stress and anxiety that comes up is, is eased by the, f the fact that I mixed it with some relief the last time this happened. So I think it's important and valuable for us to retrain our emotions to be less um, reactive 
by making sure we do this. We go back and we, we notice when we felt anxious about something that worked out fine, and we, we heal that part of ourselves that was scared. It's just like going back into our childhood and saying, I'm going to heal that part of my, my little kid that needs attention by giving that attention to myself and by setting up situations for myself where I get attention. And then the little kid in me isn't searching for that all the time. And I think that the really important part is feeling the difference, not just thinking the difference and gaining evidence in your head. Awesome, Scott. That's, a, that's an excellent tip. All of every, Everybody shared great insights. I'm ch- going to try and spit that out. I've been mm-hmm. taking notes diligently as you guys have, have went around. And to touch on some of those topics, you know, Dr. E and everybody has said this in one way or another, um, that our natural way of being is kind and compassionate. And it seems that the constraints of our world as we live it right now refrain from that, from, our, from what we got to do, from getting by or whatever the case is. But, our, but we know that our natural way of being, it is kind, it is compassionate, um, but it can be challenging to execute on. We've talked about our relationship, the relationship with ourself, the relationship with our family, the relationship with our kids, the relationship with our coworkers, the relationship with our planet, and putting a higher value to that. Um, I love the idea always of the inner creates the outer. And Dr. Joe will say, uh, Dr. Joe Spence is like, you have to be more powerful than your environment. And, you know, a lot of people would know this, you know, Nick, you would know it from martial arts and um, Sky, you'd know it from being an amazing musician and Dr. E from being a, an amazing athlete, that that inner resilience has to come from within. That's what I learned from martial arts, that it's like my will, my effort, you know, my choice you know, my choice to train, my choice to get clear on what I want. And I have the power, but I have to work for it. I have to go do something. And so when you're sharing that dark, re, uh, dark retreat story, it's like, how often do we have that opportunity? When we're getting bombarded from all of these external ex- things all the time, from our screens on our phone, from the people in our environment, when do we have that time to really go in to make that decision and apply our will? And that's why I feel like so many people are led astray in creating life either by default and whatever the environment, whatever is natural, whatever is easiest usually, right? We take the easy choice. We take the easy choice. We take the fast food. Um, we take the guaranteed income. We do all these different things for our security in the name of security, but we're not testing what we're made of. And I always love to offer people, you're more powerful than you even realize. And what is the worst that can happen? That was another idea. And what's the worst that can happen? And when somebody's transitioning, you know, a lot of times I'm coaching with people and make a lot of money, man. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, you make that much money and you're worried? Jeez. And I was just like, what's the worst that can happen? You know, let's just say you lose all your money, man. Then what? You know what I mean? You would get it back. Even if you were homeless and you just dedicated, but you're not going to be able to connect to like spirit, faith, the universe, or your higher self and test your metal. It's kind of like a backflip, such a great analogy because you prepare for the backflip. You want to do it consciously and in a certain way, but there's going to be a point where you ride at that jump and you're going to go upside down. The second you leave the jump, you're, you're committing to that. And so one of the lessons is you're going to commit. If you're going to go do this, you need to commit to it. That's going to make your um, likelihood of landing it or success a lot better. And even if you fall and you, you don't quite get it, you can try it next time. And so we're not even going in to, to really find those coordinates of what we want to move forward. And when Nick was speaking, I was reminded of uh, the book, I forget what it's called, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Is that the title? And there's yep. such an, that's an amazing book. That's an absolutely amazing story. Read that. It's about a man. He was a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and he was in the, was he a psychologist? Right? That's right. 
Yeah. Yep. And yeah, he was in the concentration camps and uh, wrote in an absolutely incredible book. And he said, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way. And this is what we're living in right now. Um, everybody's having their own unique opportunity and we also have a planetary opportunity and I've been blessed to do a couple panels with two Native American elders who I have a lot of respect for. Um, they're both engineers. They're both mathematicians. Clifford Mahoudi worked in the government for 40 years on civil and environmental engineering. And he was trying to protect the lands of the Native American people and all the tribes and all their spiritual rights. Um, look at what's happening here. And they were saying, we know that these are spiritual, uh, not spiritual, um, environmental systems that need to stay safe. You can't put a pipeline here because it's going to mess up things down the line. This is, this is not sustainable. This can't happen. And what do we do? We go in and we remove those people. We marginalize those people. We, we allow these big industries to move in and do those things. Well, where are we doing that all over the planet? And so, you know, one of the questions that I'm curious about, and David always asks it, is how can we actually do something now? How can we work together um, a lot of people will talk about these ideas, but you know, how can we actually do this now? How can we have this opportunity to actually do something? Because I think that if, if next week everything is hunky-dory, it'll be like, okay, that was a close shave, you know, but uh, hold on, got to get back to work. You know what I mean? I missed two weeks. We're right back into it. You know what I mean? That, that was, I'm going to, that's, that's in the rear view mirror. And that was one of my upsetting things when I, I, you know, started getting into the plant medicine world. This was years ago and I would you know, I experimented with that and had great results. And everybody now is, you know, ayahuasca this and mushrooms that. And, you know, I think that they've done, I think that there's a place for them. I think that they've helped a lot of people. I think um, all of that stuff. But I also think at the same time, I've seen so many people with either ayahuasca or plant medicine and the same with Burning Man. Because when you go to Burning Man, it's this wild experience. And yes, there's good and yes, there's bad and there's everything in between. But one of the things I love about it is that immediately you, you say, hey, What's your name? Oh, it's Matt. Hey, Matt. How you doing? Good. It's crazy, huh? Yeah. Um, so how are you? How's life outside of this craziness? Because you're in this crazy world. And so you just want to know how they are. And you actually care how they are. And most people outside of that space, their life isn't exactly how they want it. And a lot of the time, it's not at all how they want it. And so I always ask, like, so what do you want? Like, what would you prefer? What lights you up? What, what makes you excited? How would you prefer to grow? And, you know, the opportunity is there to do those things, but we're not engaging in our own courage and faith to make that choice. And I don't think we're engaging in our courage and faith as a humanity to take these next steps. And, um, you know, really quickly, I love, I love how Sky offered a tool. One of the tools that I've seen people uh, from extraordinary minds, you know, Michelangelo, whoever, Nikola Tesla, whoever, they all journaled. And ask yourself, if you're listening to this, write down these questions. What would I do if I had a million dollars every day for the rest of my life? How would I spend my days? If I could get a PhD or a master's or learn any skill immediately, and I'm immediately a master, what would those skills be? What are my passions? What are my interests? What's your bucket list? What do you want to do? You know, that the bucket list, all I did in my life is write those things down and then figure out how to do them. And they took some money, but not all of the money. Because if I would have put them away, I would have never done those things. I wouldn't be the person I am. And to me, that's meaningful. And that was the kind of how I guided it. And it made me, you know, when I had those near-death experiences, I didn't feel like, um, oh man, you know, I wish I did more. I was like, I guess I'm done, <laughs> which was ridiculous. <laughs> Several, unfortunately, <laughs> too many. Um, and then what are your values? Like really, what are your values? Because 
one curious thing I see is like some people, they need more money to um, pay the bills. That's one thing. But some people have a lot of money and they don't spend time with their family. I'm like, yo, if you can make that much money, why don't you just work like 25 hours a week and spend more time with the family or vacation more? But they don't because they're in this acquisition thing. And I know that if they eat it, because I can like eat it by die, um, they would wish that they had spent more time with their family because they didn't, they didn't weigh those values. They didn't have that time, like Dr. Edith was saying, to sit in reflection and think and contemplate, you know? If I'm making this choice day in and day out, day in and day out, month in, month out, that year, and then you go back in time for that year and you're like, you know, I could have, I could have shifted those values a little bit and had a different experience and still been okay. And so what I wanted to ask you guys, if anybody want to comment on anything that I said and, and what do you think it would take though for, for humanity and us as a people to actually do something to say, you know, because like I said to like at the beginning, like I look at the, how many people die of starvation, 9.1 million, even if this thing takes out like a million, hopefully it doesn't, you know, we don't want that. Um, and it's the older generation. That's really the threat. We have people that have been dying for generations in mass numbers. Is it, we don't care as a community because we don't have time to care. Is it, it's too big a problem. Are there systems in place? How is it that we, we unite, you know, and I love the idea of, you know, that, that Olympics in space, you know, team USA with team Canada, with team Korea, with team China, you know, USA and China working together, you know, and we don't need governments to do that. We do not need governments to do that. We need people to do that. We need the scientists. We need the engineers to talk to each other, to collaborate, to put what's most important first and work together and make something amazing. Be entrepreneurial. Don't, you know, you know, get sold out to all these other things. We don't need anybody other than our, than our own decision and our own um, will to work together as a global humanity to start solving these things. And so I'll quit the rant and I'll give it back over to you guys. I'm going to participate in the long jump in that outer space. Yes. Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, you want to go? Dr. Edith? No, please. Sorry, Dr. E. Go ahead. Well, I don't have all the answers. And I, I think my contribution to this conversation is that we don't have to rush into everything already being hunky-dory right away. I think, I think we can just be comfortable with the discomfort for a while. I think that is the fundamental OS upgrade we need as a human society, to be willing to be a little bit uncomfortable, to be willing to not have the answers. I love that journaling exercise that you said, but I think the most important is just, I would do it backwards, I think to start with the values and sit in that for a long, long, long time first and let the other answers kind of flush out from those deep core values first. Because all the bucket list things, I think we should be cautious if it comes from a really deep, authentic place or from an ego like, oh, I get to brag about it. Nothing wrong with that either, you know? But what is the state from which these goals come from. And um, in my healing work, I also notice a big difference in outcome when people do their healing work because they're afraid of death, afraid of illness, or because they want more richness and good quality life. That makes all the difference in the outcome. It's like, what is the core value that you came from? What is, what is like the which channel are you tuned to, you know? 
Like, like I don't ever want to go through this again, or I'm open, I'm willing to go through it and learn all the lessons and gifts from it, if that's what's intended for us, and take as long as possible to learn those lessons and be patient and kind and gentle with one another. And when the lessons are learned, naturally, as a byproduct, we will have a more enlightened society. But you can't enlighten up faster than you do. You can't rush it is the thing. We got into this big hot mess by rushing into needing to know the answers today, which is what Sky was talking about. Like our politicians have to pretend to be like know-it-alls. And it's not popular to be, you know what? I, I trust in our ability to all work together and figure things out. I trust in our pureness of heart that I trust that we can all listen to one another and come up with those win-win-win solutions instead of I'm right, you're wrong, you know, all the bullshit and bickering and, and waste of energy we see in our political system because everybody wants to act like they know it all. So I think that is the most important point to sit with is that it's all right. To be scared is all right to just sit in the unknown for as long as it takes before the clarity comes to our society. That was really lovely, Dr. Edith, the way you said that. I really agree. Uh, I find um, some confusion around this because with all of this suffering and pain that I see people experiencing and the discomfort that I have in my life. Um, I also appreciate that we're having conversations that we really need to have. And what I want is for these conversations to continue. I want us to have conversations about what it is we really want from our lives. I want us to have conversations about what it would take to, to get along together and to trust each other more. I want us to have conversations about what type of meaningful work we're willing to do and what type of meaningful work we're not willing to do and have our, all of our dialogues, whether it's political or just uh, with our families or with our, in our workplaces become authentic. Like I remember I was at a software company when I was working in 2013, I think it was when the oil spill happened in the Persian Gulf and in the, um, Caribbean Sea. And I remember feeling really alone and isolated because there was this spewing of oil. There was, a, there was an actual video camera of this happening at the bottom of the ocean and it was going on for like a month. And I could, you could log in anytime and just see the oil spewing into the ocean. And yet at my workplace, I was the only one who, who was focused on this. And I couldn't really function going to meetings and having conversations with people when people were just having business as usual. And this was happening. I felt a lot of grief and there was no real place to share that with each other. And I think we can, I think there's a, it's a possible to create space where we can keep our work going and get our jobs done and make a lot of money and acknowledge what's going on for real. So that's, that's what I want to have happen. I want us to go back to life and I want us to keep having these conversations in our everyday life with each other that are heartfelt, that are authentic and that are real. And we owe that to our children and the younger people because they are, they're saying to us, pay attention to this stuff. 
this needs to happen. We need to change the ways that we operate because they're going to be, be living next after us on this planet when we're done. And then after them comes the next generation. We need to think way beyond what we're deciding right now for ourselves and keep having these conversations. Yeah, I, no, I agree, Sky. I think that was well put. Um, I think the continue having conversations is always one that should be answered as well as we possibly can. Um, and I, I want to go back to something you said, Matt, about Viktor Frankl, um, amazing, amazing book, amazing man. But at the end of the day, all we really have is choice about how we're going to perceive and how we're going to behave relative to whatever external circumstances we're facing. And I'm, I'm struck by the difference between going into a retreat, even a dark retreat, and what we are doing now, like shelter in place, at least in California, essentially like a lockdown. Can't even, you know, all the parks and beaches are, and are now closed. Um, and so how do we make this our retreat, right? How do, we, how do we intentionally shoulder the difficulty and the challenges moving forward? And what might that do for us spiritually? And I'm reminded actually of my grandmother, Catholic, devout, um, lady in her nineties now. And she, when she got sick, this is in Tibetan Buddhism. This is a very similar practice when you get sick. And when she got sick as a, as a Catholic, she would think that her suffering, her sickness was actually, uh, I'm going to use Buddhist terminology, creating the, the conditions for everybody to be well. Right. So it was this idea that like by shouldering that burden, she was lessening the burden of others. And that's a very empowering stance, right? And we each have the opportunity to do that now. And yes, I mean, the governments need to be involved to some degree to be able to heal the world. And yes, have that entrepreneurial spirit and band together at a national level and, and all of the amazing things that are happening. But at a deep level, we can also take um, charge of our own healing, our own healing of the five elements within us. And I believe, and I think everybody on the panel would probably agree that that healing will ripple out in ways that we can scarcely imagine. And that now is the time to set that ball in motion. And that we will be faced with this crisis for just as long as it takes for us to look inside and do this inner healing work. And so we may as well start now. Beautifully put, man. I 100% agree. And, you know, I, I'm glad that you touched on that succinctly because I was thinking about it. And, you know, even with your healing, right? Or are you, if you know somebody with addiction or anything like that, you cannot do anything for them. You know, if you want to heal the planet, um, you got to heal yourself first. And in martial arts, you know, I learned this is like, it's the hurt people that hurt people. Nobody fulfilled and full of love and a great life is out there just making everybody else's life miserable. The person who's making your life miserable has pain, has trauma, has those things that they're dealing with. And that's where I love Buddhism coming in and saying love and compassion. You know, you don't know why they're acting like that, but there's a good chance if they're acting like that, there, there's a reason for it. And so if we can figure out our own way to be and live in love and compassion for ourselves, for our community, to get into our own, um, you know, our own values. And yeah, Edith has a really um, 
perfect way to put it. Do the values first, you know, and you have tons of time for contemplation. And I didn't even consider that, you know, like the, the ego values. And unfortunately that's what a lot of people need to deal with. You know, it's like, Oh, I'm going to need the Ferrari and this and that. Well, if you want a Ferrari because you love cars and it's like a part of who you are, there's no problem. But if you want a Ferrari because you want to look cool, and that's a different thing. Maybe you want something else that's a little bit deeper. That's going to give you lasting fulfillment, not, uh, you know, that quick fix fulfillment. And that's really what we want. And so the more of us that can do that always 100% of the time I've, I've, I've seen it that when somebody connects to who they are, to their values, to their interests, to what they want to do on this planet, and they can take as much time as they need in that reflection process. And I think that that's important too. It's always helpful for other people. Never is it detrimental. It's people are getting by to get to that space. But I think that people forget, you know, we get caught up in that wagon wheel of life or whatever. And then we just completely forget about those uh, other ideas of what really fulfills us, what we really came here to do, you know, giving it your all. And so, um, you know, I could, this conversation has flowed so easily, so smoothly. We could probably go for another four hours, but uh, I want to be mindful of your time. I'll sit here for as long as you guys would like, but is the, uh, do you guys want to throw in any questions or comments? unmute there we go i was reminded about um so our boy is uh, a little bit wild as you can see he we tried school and it didn't work because he has an other um he has his inner compass about what he wants to explore and how to explore that and um i think we're all parents on this panel and and i assume we all went to school at some point I think we can all kind of connect on the experience of having to live based on some external agenda instead of being driven from inside out. And um, in exploring homeschooling, there's a system of homeschooling called unschooling, you've probably heard of. In unschooling, you let the kid be completely self-directed, completely interest-led. And through that, as a side effect of being interested in one topic, the math, the science, the English, the art, and all the t subjects that they teach in school is naturally woven into that interest area. So let's say they're really interested in Legos. Through Legos, you can learn to read, you can learn about math, you can learn about history, you can learn so many different things. Or if they're interested in a snake, you know, you can learn about um, the mythology, the sociology, write papers, do research, do projects, learn biology, learn science. And so in exploring unschooling, it, it, it really gave me a lot of inspiration on the bigger picture of how our society has been structured in such an artificial construct. And I learned in the unschooling movement that when people exit school and transition into unschooling, it's known that they have to do a period of what's called de-schooling. And de-schooling, de-schooling is um, something that can take months you know, or if you've been in a corporate job that you didn't especially love when you quit and started your passion-based business, there might be a period of time where you have to detox from your corporate mindset 
into being more creative, more innovative, more entrepreneurial. So that's all to say, you know, just be gentle with ourselves again, that there's a transition period and it needs to run its course and allow that wildness to be there for a little bit because there's another structure that will emerge in your life that will unfold very naturally, I think. Uh, Nick, thanks for bringing our attention to the chat room. And uh, Lone Bear Senapas asks, how can we do something now? How can we work together? Lots of great people talk about this. How can we do this now? I mentioned last time that I want to make sure that whatever happens, we continue having these conversations. And what uh, Lone Bear is bringing up is actually not just conversations, but how does this translate into a change in the way we do things, a change in culture? And that's my, that's my answer, is a change in culture. Um, the reason I research synchronicity as a phenomenon, as a scientific phenomenon, is because I think it really is one. And I think when we start understanding the world as meaningful, as synchronistic, we start paying attention to the things that are happening, not as obstacles or thorns in our side or just things to be ignored, but everything becomes a meaningful guidepost for us. And then we get on a path of learning and growth that we might not have been on before. We start paying attention to things in the context of growth. And we can pay attention to this experience in the context of growth. I think one of the things that's really useful for me is putting what's happening in context. And if, if we can see the, the suffering that we're going through in a context of what it's teaching us as a humanity for the next period of evolution, that makes it much more meaningful for us. So, I just want to come back to this question of, or this answer, not, not answer, but answer, talking about the question of what can we do? And I think the more we pay attention to the situations happening in our lives every day, the more we'll get the answer for what can I do next to be on my personal path of growth. And if I'm on my personal path of growth, I'm going to be doing things that are affecting the world bigger than I am now. And it's not just about me getting what I want, but it's about me seeing that I'm in service to the three of you and to everyone on this call and to everybody out there. And I become more willing to step into the role that I need to step into to make this culture better. And so I think when we see culturally, we have a new worldview which um, embraces the idea of synchronicity being a guide for us and ties back in to the indigenous culture's understanding of the natural world being alive, then we begin to heal. And when we heal as a culture we, and we heal as individuals, we stop making the same types of choices that we're making in politics and in, in businesses. And we start making in choices that are more uh, sustainable and equitable so that we can get along with each other and and, and have justice and all these things that are all intertwined. Yeah, I totally agree, Sky. And, and if I kind of take a little bit of what everybody's saying, what I'm hearing is that Nick was speaking earlier about, you know, these fear loops. So we fear uh, what might happen and we're constantly living in the future or in the past in that old acronym of fear, false evidence being uh, appearing real. 
And that's what a lot of people are in right now. Like, oh my God, what if, what if, what if, what if, right? But most of the time, those things don't happen. Um, yes, we're in a challenging situation that there's a little bit more uh, danger or risk because of what is happening, but we can focus on what is now. And we don't need to um, project constantly each and every day. It's not going to give us the greatest experience. You know, we can take each day at a time. And when we're looking at transforming the world, transforming ourselves, uh, Dr. E, she keeps coming back to give yourself time. It's okay to be stressed out. Just sit there and, you know, just sit there for a while. And that's a part of it. And maybe it's the uh, masculine, just want to get things done quick side of me. But that's like, show me the most efficient way to get this done. Um, but that's a, such an important part is if you've never reflected on these questions, if you are just in fear, just to sit with that, it is such an integral part, but then to start to contemplate on these things and keep them in your mind, you know, don't let them go. Let just, just keep them there. Move slowly, be easy on yourself, be kind and compassionate to yourself and then kind and compassionate, you know, to, to other people. It's going to take a little time to unfold. And then sky, you know, you kind of brought it home with just, you know, when you're doing all those things, you're going to see the next thing to do. If you want to run a triathlon like Dr. E did, you know, that's the man. I don't even know what the first, I tried to run like, I think it was like five miles today. My legs were killing me and I, and I work out a little bit. So can't imagine 26 are running a triathlon. It's a longer process. And I think that we're an individual, a long process for our life. You know, I like to always, you know, ask people, what do you think you're capable of in 20 years? You know, give yourself a vision that you'd, keep moving towards for the rest of your life. And so in that way, it can unfold slowly, you can give yourself a little bit of space and time. And you can keep also in the forefront, what, it, what are my values? What is meaningful? And when you do that, it is always automatically uh, synergistic and helpful with the environment. And then you just do what's in front of you to the best of your ability. And so I just wanted to kind of summarize what I heard from you guys and see if you guys wanted to share uh, any input. And maybe closing thoughts. I don't know what you guys for time, but you know, like maybe we can do another one, but you guys are, I'll sit and listen to you guys any day. <laughs> well, I, I do have to get to my family and help make dinner and things, but I do, I want to hear just closing from Nick and Dr. Edith. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that was very well summarized, Matt. Um, and really appreciate the conversation and the opportunity to, to discuss. I, I've talked to Scott a little bit about some of the potential offerings that we can do to help people. Um, and I'll let Sky and, and Dr. E talk about what they're doing. Um, I actually, I cleared days next week. So if anybody is looking for any kind of coaching, I mean, mo most of the time I'm working on executive coaching and business coaching, and I do occasionally do life coaching as well. So anything at all, or if it's just even career coaching, if you're looking for a new position, um, you can reach me at nickeganphd.com. That's N-I-C-K-E-G-A-N. And just um, reach out and I'll, I'll schedule a free, you know, not a sales call, like an actual 30-minute coaching session. And we can go from there. So, you know, we're here to, to help everybody. And um, Nick's a great coach. He's my coach. <laughs> thank, thank you, Sky. Me too, that. actually. <laughs> he is a great coach. You guys are both <laughs> excellent clients. So I'll tell you that. Um, yeah. So, so just making that available because um, there, the opportunities and possibilities abound, and we we want to go toward the discomfort, go toward the growth that's there, and be able to sit with that in a way that's meaning not just for ourselves, but for our families and our communities and our planet. So please do get in touch. That's awesome, okay. man. Thanks for that. That's cool. You should definitely do it if you're hearing this. You'll be lucky if you get his time.
<laughs> Thank you. Dr. E, yeah, do you want to say something? You're on mute. Muted. Here we go. I keep looking down because when my girl was in my belly, I did some depth hypnosis work to talk with her more deeply about what she is choosing as a soul to experience on this planet and, and how can I support and assist in that. And um, the first thing she said was, you've got too many mental rigidities. That's why in this pregnancy you need to sleep a lot and just chill the F out. You know, because I ran all these blood tests and the blood tests all show that all my markers, because I've been quote unquote biohacking for decades. So all my blood markers, my physiology, it was in tip top shape, but I was always needing to sleep so much. And I was like, I don't want to be so lazy. I want to do more work and be productive. I'm also one of my trainings is as a certified high performance coach. I'm real good at that go, go, go thing. Also, I'm an immigrant and, you know, that like the stress and suffering and, and push, push. I've been so good at that for so much of my life. And my girl in hypnosis, that's the first thing she says. It's time to let that paradigm go. That's not what the new generation is here to experience. We're here to experience synchronicities and, and magic and beauty and goodness. And we're here to inspire that in one another. And it looks completely different. And a lot of the old models of like work hard, play hard is just totally obsolete in this new reality. So please soften yourself into a more flexible state of being. And so she told me as an assignment that I needed to really sit in meditation with the Tao Te Ching as much as possible. And to see it from her perspective as a, as a pure being pure soul incarnating into the physical for the first time from the undifferentiated source back into, into the physical reality, experiencing it all from that very pure state, that's actually the new reality that she says we're stepping into. And that means letting go of a lot of old structures and rigidities, which starts with our minds first. Before we change the structures in our external realities, we need each need to change the structures within our own mental state of being. And so I was um, digging, looking down, sorry for being so rude. I was like, oh, that there's, there's some passages about like, like the Tao it says that you, um, if you, if you poke a fish too much, you spoil it, you know, and you're, or um, if you pick a food, fruit before it's ripe, you ruin the fruit and so on but I couldn't find those passages. So here is like the tarot. The first thing that opened is chapter 10. So I will read that one to you. There's 81 chapters. And it says, can you coax your mind from his wandering and keep to the original oneness? Can you let your body become supple as a new child? Can you cleanse your inner vision until you see nothing but the light? Can you love people and lead them without imposing your will? Can you deal with the most vital matters by just letting events take their course? That's a huge piece for us right now, I think. Can you step back from your own mind and thus understand all things? Giving birth 
and nourishing, having without possessing, acting with no expectations, leading and not trying to control. This is the supreme virtue. Oh, highly recommended. If I was a stranded on a deserted island, Tao Te Ching is definitely one of the three books I would bring with myself. I first read the Tao Te Ching in high school and it deeply moved me. It was um, the version by, um, now I'm blanking on his name because I'm on the spot, but uh, really, really moved me and, and formed my adult conception of spirituality. Um, I want to just share that I've been moved to be more available to be with people and have also set aside time like Nick talked about the next three weeks a couple days a week to have half an hour conversations if people out there are wanting mentorship around synchronicity and how to see context in your current experiences how to look at the things that are going on for you and try and tease out what it is the learning from this what is it that I'm seeking to gain in my own growth from this um, we can have that conversation. I'd love to help you and support you at your at the point that you're at right now. So you can find me at my website, skynelson.com, or through the course website. I have a put on a course with my uh, team that's called the Living and Flow course, and that's at the letter U thrivehere.com slash living and flow. Awesome, Sky. That's that's amazing. Yeah, and you guys are definitely experts. Dr. E, make sure Pete you can tell people uh, what you're up to. Yeah, so by popular demand, I started, um, I did one session and people asked for more. So it's turned into a series of Facebook Lives. You can dial in via Facebook Live or Zoom every Monday and Thursday night, 6 p.m. Um, Pacific time. Our community is just gathering. We do a lot of powerful breath work to level up our energy and our physiology so that we can shift our state of being and state of mind so that those possibilities can come in easier. Um, so every Monday and Thursday is called the Super Wellness Online, free online retreats. And maybe I can put in the show notes the link to that. We'd love for you to join us. There's such a powerful effect in the group mastermind. All these amazing beings all doing synchronized breath work together. So get out of our mental planes and just into that new state of beingness where we feel so joyful and abundant and overflowing with goodness and out of that overflow then problem solve our lives i find that that is just like by far the most blissful joyful and also the easiest way to move through change quickly in our lives so please join us every monday thursday night for free amazing scott did you want to say something else no no i'm good Thank you awesome. for putting this together, Matt, and, I'm, and, and Nick and Dr. Edith. It's great to be here with you all and share this space, and I hope we can do it again really soon and support people where they're at. Yeah, thank yeah. you very much, everybody. Yeah, thank you guys so much for coming on. I have a deep respect for who you guys are and your work and your level of dedication to what you're offering. And, you know, this is just another example of how you guys answer the call and do the best you can and, um, you know, to, to support and help in, in the way that you live your life. You're really great examples. and. If you guys are listening to this, you want great communities. You know, all three of these people are going to foster really amazing communities and I'll be putting stuff together. I'll probably be working with Dr. E on some stuff too. And so, you know, just reach out to us. We're on 
Facebook. We're on Instagram. Just Google our names, find us, send an inquiry. But I think a lot of people out there too, just having that space to share candidly, to be open, to express those anxieties and and know that you're going to be met with uh, compassion and insight and encouragement and support is is massive in these chi- in these times. So just deep admiration. Yeah, deep mm. admiration for all of you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much, Nick and Sky. It was so beautiful to learn from you guys. I got so much out of just being in your presence. So beautiful, so loving, and and it is exactly we are actually in that co-creation right now of that new possibility. Yeah. So thank you for being the example of that possibility. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Edith. Yeah, thank you all. All right. See you guys. Thanks for watching. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, I hope that you enjoyed that episode of the show. If you do want to support getting the word out there, please share this. Leave a review in iTunes. Go to mattbailier.com. Sign up for the email list. You can also become a patron if you go to patreon.com forward slash mattbailier or join the Mastermind Body and Spirit Academy. And when you do, you'll get access to the amazing Soul Compass course. I would love to have you there getting your feedback your questions and just making the academy the exclusive content the course even better with your feedback and during this time we're doing a pay as you want so just hit me up matt belair or matt at zenathlete.com or dm me on instagram or anywhere and let me know what you can afford um, and happy to get that course and have you in the academy and it also supports the show so i can keep doing these and uh, bringing you the best guests and information possible so thank you so much for listening to this i hope that you are well safe and happy and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.